Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. Thank you, I guess, whatever. What fresh hell. Laughing in the face of motherhood. Well, you could be washing your clothes against cold rocks in the stream. With Margaret Abels and Amy Wilson. Nothing ever goes right for me. A podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas so you don't have to. I would have killed you if I also had to clean up like your lunch mess that I didn't even partake in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And this week we're talking about what we're grateful for. We're cultivating an attitude of gratitude, Amy. We're cultivating it. We talked in episode 70 about raising grateful kids, and I'm putting a link to that in the show notes for this episode. Just scroll, tap, etc., and you'll see that because that's important. Yeah. But sometimes it's important to cultivate our own gratitude. You sound really committed to that. You're like, that's important. Well, yeah, I do have a little bit of resistance to this. And yet, because I'm like, yes, like I'm grateful, like whatever. You know, my husband was encouraging me because he was reading some books on meditation and how to become happier. Oh, geez. And he was like, let's write down three things we're grateful for every day. And I did it for like a week. I'm like, I get it. I get it. I'm grateful. And I do experience myself as a person who goes through life like I'm blessed. Things are good. Like you're hashtag blessed. Every day is great. And I'm yeah, hashtag blessed. And I am in touch with that. But being intentional about being more in touch with that is good for us. Seems like a headache. It seems like a headache, but it's also worth the effort. I think our guest for today would argue our guest for today is Nancy Davis Co. She's an old friend of Margaret's and mine. And she is the author of the brand new book, The Thank You Project, Cultivating Happiness, One Letter of Gratitude at a Time. And so she did it. So she's going to talk to us about how to actually cultivate gratitude. And she has one approach. But should we talk about like why we want to do this? Because there is studies, there's research. I mean, lead with studies and research. I agree. I, I think it can feel like another thing on the to-do list. Like, right. Now I have to meditate on gratitude? That sounds horrible. I don't want to. I'd rather just watch my Netflix shows. It sounds like taking your cod liver oil or something. Like, I guess, or taking vitamins. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it feels like a chore. Feels annoying. Again, I also feel like I've got this. I'm grateful. I don't need any help. Thanks. I'm just going to watch my shows and eat some Reese's Puffs in bed. 
Well, I'll give you some research. So there was a study, 2015 study, okay. that found that an ongoing practice of gratitude actually rewires your brain to reward it for positive perceptions. So this is something we talk about a lot. This is like evidence gathering, the wolf you feed, you know, the all this stuff, which is like what you're looking for is what you're going to see. Like if someone tells you like there's a lot of yellow cars on the road today, people are like, oh, my God, there are so many more yellow cars. Right. You mentioned yellow cars and then all I saw was yellow cars. This is why people think that Facebook is listening in on their phones, because it's like you talk about something and then it pops up in your ads. Like what you're looking for, you see. And Facebook also may be spying on you, let's be honest. But yeah, exactly. <laughs> we won't solve that one today. No, but I do think that our, we said this all the time, like it, you're working on it because it helps you, not because it's a good idea. And I think the gratitude thing is this way too, that like I often will have a week where I talk to moms at pickup and everyone's like, horrible. I, you know, my kid didn't make the travel soccer team. And, I, da, 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 da. and it's like these problems and this angst. And I will occasionally have the reaction after hearing many of these things of like, we need to get a little better at realizing that like we live in the rare air of like happiness and safety and like a basic cushion of like getting up every day and things are pretty much okay. You know, you're not scrubbing your clothes on rocks in the river. Yeah. And you're not like no one's actively trying to attack you all day. Like we're not grateful enough for the rare air. And like on the flip side, yes, it's annoying to be. My dad talks about when he was a young person, he had surgery and he had something removed from his lung. And this was like in the 40s or something. So the medical technology was not the best. And he wasn't allowed to drink any liquid, have any liquid for like three days because they were worried somehow he would aspirate it or whatever. And eventually he had to stop having visitors because he couldn't stand to watch people not drinking water. He was like, how could you be allowed to drink and not take advantage <laughs> of that right now? Like, it's just sitting there. <laughs> Yeah, like you're just wasting your time not drinking water right now because I can't drink water at all and you can and you're not taking advantage of that and it's hard to watch. And I feel like that's a good metaphor for this problem. Like you kind of can't spend all your time being like, I'm so glad I didn't have lung surgery today in the 1940s and I get to drink this glass of cool, refreshing water. Well, I mean, maybe it's selfish to be like, we should do gratitude because it'll make ourselves happier. But, mm, you know, I'm leaning in on this anyway, because it's like, oh, it's good to look for the yellow car. It's called positive recall bias. Oh, tell me more. There's a name for that. If you have positive recall bias, it's an ability that one might have to recall positive things more easily than negative things. And, you know, there's the Livia Sopranos among us. Is that an old deluxe alert, Livia Soprano? It is. It's an oldie luxe alert. Back in my day. So she was, you know, on The Sopranos, Tony Soprano's mother was just always like, oh, who wants? You'd offer a piece of cake. I can't eat that stuff. Too sweet. How about you have pie instead? Ugh, pie. You know, it might have bacteria in it. Just every, always a storm cloud over her head. So she had negative recall bias. But you can, again, train yourself to do this to dwell on more positive things that will then make your brain more likely to see the yellow cars. One of my children currently is a victim of negative recall bias. Like every <laughs> single day, I'm like, how was school? Terrible. What happened? Someone was mean to me in the cafeteria. 
I'm like, what else happened? Oh, other than that, art was good. I made this thing and we had spore and this was good and this was good and this was good. And I'm like, it doesn't really sound like the day was terrible. It sounds like one bad thing happened in an overall good day. But like, he just cannot see the forest for the trees right now. Like one thing goes wrong and it's like, oh, it's confirmation bias, which is school is a terrible place. And like every day he finds evidence for that. So that kid, and I'm like that too, like one cloudy day and I'm like, well, you know, what's the point of going on, right? I can't (laughs) (laughs) One day without sunshine and I'm 100% negative recall bias. You're like, just spiral into Eeyore mode. So we want this. There's something that Jonathan Haidt, who is a social psychologist, calls elevation. And he, by that means, that warm, glowing feeling in the chest you have. Yes. That makes you not only happy, but it makes you actually want to be a better person. Like this afternoon in the park is so sunny and lovely. I just want to be this person all the time. That's elevation. Hmm. That feels like a distant memory to me right now. It's so rainy and cloudy and cold today. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It's cold. But then you get like the twinkling lights of the holidays, and that's kind of fun. Yes. That gives me elevation. What was the word a long time ago you talked about, like, we were talking about something about winter, and you said there was like Danish people have a word for like the cozy by the fire. It's Hugge. H-Y-G-G-E. Hugge gives me elevation. Yeah. Like seeking out the cozy. That's like the happy feeling you get by cozy. Super cozy stuff. Yeah. Cozy is elevating for me. So if you need more reason to lean into the gratitude, there was another study that found that the participants who thought about things that they were grateful for before they fell asleep had better quality of sleep, slept longer and more soundly Mm. than people who either thought about you know, the Livia Soprano negative stuff or right. who were, so you were told either, you know, think lovely thoughts, think annoying thoughts or think, you know, whatever you feel like, think neutral. And that's a good, simple practice. And we, my husband and I have been re trying to back to one it and recommit to not being on our phones before bed. Seriously. We did one day and then we fell back again last night. So we're not doing great with it, guys. But I do find that that thing of like, my husband and I like to solve the crossword puzzle together. So we're like, we're going to get in bed and solve the crossword puzzle. Problem is we're such geniuses. We solve the crossword in like 20 minutes. And then we were like, okay, now let's look at our phones. But the thing of like scrolling social media and just ingesting a diet of like online bad feelings and then falling asleep, I realize it is so bad for me. And yet I have trouble breaking the habit of doing it. But yes, would I be better off lying in bed and thinking of the five great things that happened this weekend that make me smile? Yes. I tend to, before I fall asleep, I mean, I'm also guilty of the phone thing. But then as I fall asleep, I'm thinking of the five things I want to get done before I wake up the kids tomorrow. You know, like, of course you are. Right. If I shower at 615, then I'll have time to dry my hair before I wake the kids up or, you know, then I can research the episode or whatever. Think about the things I have to do as soon as I pop out of bed the next morning. I mean, and I enjoy being productive. So maybe that's not terrible, but it's not the things I'm grateful for. I literally never do that. I don't think I've ever done that in my entire life. <laughs> I do not know what you're talking about. I occasionally count my worries. I'm like, ah, oh, what if this person I know who's having a health problem gets worse? And I mean, I perseverate on negative things, but I definitely never sit around and think, what can I get done before breakfast tomorrow? Never happens. Well, maybe you and I should do like a wife swap, like life swap, right? Yeah. Brain swap. 
Yeah. It'd be a nice vacation for you. And it would be a... All right. Watch for that in 2020. Yeah. Possible. All right. So we asked all of you guys to tell us some of the things that you're grateful for because... We need ideas, you know, we need to lean into the good if this is going to make us happier. We need to count our blessings. Yes, exactly. So Shannon says she's thankful for so much, but she says, this is random, my washer and my dryer. Let's face it, early childhood is messy and our clothes are disgusting. I have laundry going every day. And she's thankful for the washer and dryer. That is a turn that frown upside down thing, Shannon. I think you're right. Like, thank God for the washer and dryer. I mean, this is the thing. There's a Glennon Doyle piece who writes at Momisteria, and now she writes all over the place. And she had a piece that went viral a couple of years ago, and it was this idea of, like, perspectacles, like putting on your perspectacles. Uh-huh. I like that. It's like putting on the glasses that help you have perspective on your life. That, like, when you turn on the tap, clean water flows out of it, you know? You put dishes in a dishwasher, and it washes them. And, like... I think there is something very, like, twee about this whole thing of, like, well, you could be washing your clothes against cold rocks in the stream. Like, listen, I've got problems. I get that I don't have to wash my clothes against cold rocks, but, like, it doesn't mean I don't have problems. Like, yes, your problems scale to where you are in the world, but sometimes it is nice to take some time and say, I have hot water running in my house. As a person who currently does not have hot water running in their house because my hot water heater is broken. <laughs> Let me tell you people, I'm feeling very grateful for the times that I did. Why aren't we all using our hot water? Why aren't you all in it? Why are you listening to this instead of being in a hot shower right now? Although I do listen to podcasts in the shower. So you do? Maybe you are. Like Bluetooth? Yeah. I have a little shelf where my phone stays dry. See this? We do need a life swap. Like, yeah. What? Very indulgent. Warm shower, listening to podcasts. I love it. But see, I, up until today, I guess I kind of thought like I should be thinking all the time of how lucky I am to have a washer and dryer instead of this approach of just practice gratitude, like write the three things down every morning and you will naturally see that like the perspectacles will just be on your face because you've you know, gotten used to being that way. You see what I'm saying? It doesn't have to be like yeah. hard work. Now I'm going to squint really hard to remember that I should be thankful for a washer and dryer. No, I just see the world that way because I've chosen to lean into it this little bit. Well, and this is the thing. This is a big back to one thing. And it's also when you need it. I do not write down three things I'm grateful for every day. I will never do that. That sounds horrible to me. There's no way that's becoming part of my life day. That sounds... It takes like 30 seconds, but still, yes. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't care. It's not interesting to me. It sounds like a chore. I don't want to do it. But when I get in a really dark cloud mood where I'm like, guess everyone just likes to dump on Meg, you know, like where I'm just like in that Eeyore down mood where I'm like, nothing ever goes right for me. Mm-hmm. When I get in that mode, I know the way out of it is to try to spend 10 minutes a day quietly revisiting happy memories, thinking about blessings, like thinking about what's positive. Because I have, I know people, and this perspective is easy to have after it happens. But like, I have a friend who had a terrible loss in their lives. And she talks all the time about like the things I worried about the year leading up to that loss 
just vex me to this day that I spent time instead of enjoying my person who I lost worrying about this other minutia just kills me, you know, and it is a really good perspective. Like when I find myself in the mode of like, the only thing that matters is that my child does not understand arithmetic at a fourth grade level. Like when I find myself locked in that place, I do try to completely like break the fire line and reset and think this is not really a problem. And do you have a ritual around that? Like, do you sit cross-legged and like put on certain music? Or are you just sort of like, I'm just going to think of some happy stuff now. And what, let me see, what do I? Mm, I try to do it a little bit like a ritual, like a meditation thing where I take 10 minutes a day and I get quiet. But I also try to reset my whole thinking around like when I am perseverating about whether or not my kid is at grade level in math and that that seems to be the most important thing that is eating all my days. I try to, as I go through the day, revisit that as, yeah, like every time I have that thought, give yourself some perspective on it, you know? Yeah. And try to shut it down moment by moment, too. Because we all fall into periods of like black cloud, trolley under the bridge, like eating people, lack of gratefulness, like I hate the world modes. Everybody's going to end up there. I don't care if you're like the Dalai Lama. He has days where he's like, oh, these people stink. I can't stand them. You know, like everybody... You're not going to not feel that way, but I find gratitude is the place to go when I'm in those modes. Yeah, I guess it's just like, yeah, I need to sort of reframe this for myself, that gratitude is a happy place and it's a place where I'll get more out of it and feel great instead of stop being so negative all the time. Don't you know how lucky you are? Like instead of it coming from guilt that I'm not doing it better, it's something that you enjoy doing. You do your gratitude list like you put on your cozy slippers because they're your favorites. It can be something you lean into because you like to and not because you ought to. Yes. I would say beating yourself over the head with the gratitude club is always <laughs> a bad idea, Amy. Okay, we're going to go to our interview with Nancy Davis Co. right after this. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses, first two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we say, and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different 
different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use fresh to get $100 off your lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E, lumen.me, and use the code fresh at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. Our guest today is Nancy Davis Coe. She is the host of the podcast Midlife Mixtape, which Nancy says is for the years between being hip and breaking one. And if you guys don't have that in your playlist, like pause right now and add Midlife Mixtape to your podcast playlist. Uh, Nancy's also a writer whose work has appeared in the San Francisco Chronicle, the Washington Post, and online at her blog, which is also called Midlife Mixtape. And her brand new book is... The Thank You Project, Cultivating Happiness, One Letter of Gratitude at a Time. This book is a lovely meditation on how writing letters help Nancy better appreciate her life, but it's also a how-to guide to starting your own letter-writing project. Would you say I have that right, Nancy? You have all of it right. Thank you so much, Amy. (laughs) What a lovely introduction. Nancy and I know each other from the world of blogging. We both have had blogs for Many years. Cow's years. Yours is now kind of folded into your podcast. Is that right? It's sort of one-stop shopping for your work. It is, yeah. I still try to write on the blog occasionally because that's how I figure out how I feel about things. But yeah, it goes back and forth between the blog and the podcast. And you have two daughters who are college age. I do. I am an empty nester as of September. And let me tell you, it's not bad. <laughs> no? I run the dishwasher every other week. <laughs> I have not had to vacuum since they left. And I'm back to like college. Do I do laundry or do I just go buy another pair of underwear? I'm going to go buy the other pair of underwear because it feels like work. So It sounds so edgy. It's pretty edgy. But it's good to hear because every, you know, there's those Facebook like to my daughter and her, you know, as I watch you walk away, like that's a industry that's sort of writing about how like my life is ending. But as I watch you walk away and you're here to say it's not so bad. You know, I think the major thing is my kids are doing well at college. They found the right spot. They're happy where they are. So if that weren't the case, maybe I would feel differently. But given that they're happy where they are, I am free to be very happy where I am with opening the fridge and saying, yeah, I don't feel like cooking. Let's just go get a burrito. (laughs) But are you happy because you're a happy person because you're cultivating gratitude, (laughs) right? Like maybe that's why you're happy about it. I'm happy because I wrote the 50 letters. You know, I do think that the basis for this book, which was the year that I was turning 50, I decided that the way I would mark it is by writing thank you letters to 50 people who had helped or shaped or inspired me up to that point. And I think the exercise of writing those 50 letters over the course of what ended up being almost a year and a half did wire me a little bit differently. And that's consistent with the research that I did in writing the book to try to figure out why gratitude letters are so powerful. But, you know, the saying they have is neurons that fire together, wire together. And if you have to sit down every week and fill a whole page with why you're grateful to somebody who's in your life, you start getting in the habit of looking around to the people in your life and saying, okay, what is it about this person that's cool, that's, you know, made a difference in my life? How have they helped make me who I am? And so it does become kind of habitual. So I do think that I tend to be, I think I'm more optimistic and happier than I was before I was writing those letters. I just got into a new habit. Mm. Now, did you say I'm going to write 50 letters or did you write a couple of them and and then feel like I have something here, I'm going to keep going? I definitely wanted to write 50 letters, but I didn't know who I would write them to because I didn't even think I knew 50 people. And so, you know, I brainstormed the first list of people. I knew I was going to write to my mom and dad and my siblings, obviously, and my best friend. And so I had some names and then I just kind of 
let myself, I just trusted myself that I would figure it out as I went along. And what was interesting is how, so the rubric I used was who has helped me, who has shaped me, who has inspired me. And if you think about that, those three questions, you know, you learn from positive and negative examples in your life. And so the more I thought about the first ones I wrote were all positive people, you know, people who I love and I generally talk to a lot. But then I started thinking, well, you know, one of the things that has shaped me as a person is that I lived in Germany for my first job after college, I moved to Germany, and I didn't know anybody there. I was fluent in German, I thought, except then you moved to Bavaria, <laughs> which is the Texas of Germany. I couldn't understand anything anyone was saying. And I had a really nice German boyfriend, and things didn't work out in the long run with us, but I could call him and say, why do I have to go to the post office to pay my utility bills? That doesn't make sense to me. And he would explain it, and I would be like, okay, how do I file my taxes in your country? And he would explain it. And so... I realized that I could write these thank you letters to people who I might not be in touch with anymore or with whom it was going to be awkward to be in touch again because I didn't have to send them. Nobody knew I was doing this. So I started expanding my list, and that's when it got easier and easier to figure out who else to write to. So there was that unsent letter to the German ex. I wrote a letter to Jane Austen. Whose writing do I love more than Jane Austen? It's hard to get a letter to her in that she's dead, but I wanted to spend some time thinking about how her writing has enriched my life. So once the shackles were off, man, I was writing to the cities I've lived in. I wrote a letter to the live music industry. So, you know, the benefits of gratitude letters come in a crew in the writing of them, not necessarily in the sending of them. And once you know that, I I think it can be pretty fun to figure out who and what has shaped you. And then what happened with the people that you did send them to? I got a positive response from every single one of them. And they were different sizes. So there some people wrote me back, which was wonderful. Some people were really effusive. They were mostly all really surprised. I didn't necessarily tell anybody I was doing this. But and then some people were a little bit more muted. That was totally fine. I told myself at the beginning that my job was to write the letters and give them to the people to whom I felt comfortable giving them. You know, they didn't owe me anything. They didn't ask me to write a thank you letter. So I was really disciplined with myself. Like if they don't have a reaction, that is no reflection on you. You wrote your letter. But everybody had some size or style of positive reaction. I was really glad I sent them to people. I mean, one of the letters I got back was from the obstetrician who delivered my kids because I thought, you know, if she hadn't been good at her job and my (laughs) two children hadn't been delivered safely, my life would look very, very different. So I wanted to write to her and she's a huge name in San Francisco. I live in Oakland and yes, cross the Bay Bridge twice while in labor, paying a toll. Ask me about that someday. Wow. But I mean, she wrote me back and she said she doesn't hear from people very often and You know, I just, that was kind of eye-opening to me. All these people who we owe huge thanks to, and we just don't think about it because maybe it's their job, admittedly, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't thank them for it. Recently, my son at dinner was talking about, so I, you know, I have three kids and I have a junior in high school and a sixth grader. And my sixth grader was talking about how this certain teacher, the way he does things, and my junior in high school was like, I know, like, that's what he taught me, and I still always do all my notebooks that way. Let me show you how I organize my notes. So he's showing her, and I said, will you write to him and tell him? Why? Like, so much resistance from my kid. Sure. I don't have to say anything. Like, like, please. Like, he would, like, just say to him, so last night we were talking about you at dinner. 
So it was pulling teeth not to get him to write it, but to get him to sit down and write it, right? Like to begin. And then he, I'm like, just say what you feel. And he did, sent the email. And of course, the teacher was so happy to receive that because I think you're right. Like we think these things, we don't take the step of delivering them. And there's so much joy for the receiver and the giver in that too. Like I think my son was really proud of himself for having sort of adulted in that way. And so like, oh, this is useful. I should do this more often. I should thank people. Well, and I think as a practice, especially for your son's a junior. So, you know, I think at the end of senior year, it's kind of a cool thing to suggest that your kid do, you know, pick two or three of your teachers and write him a thank you letter. And I think because in writing the letter, you're also thinking about yourself and how you've changed. And we all know that kids are completely different. Well, not completely different. They still don't put their socks in the hamper. But, you know, ninth grade to 12th grade is a time of really huge. <laughs> There's some trajectory, right? There's <laughs> Sorry. Very slight. <laughs> not aimed at my daughter's. But there's so much change that goes on between ninth and 12th grade, and it's a chance for the kid to reflect, too, at an important time in their life about the fact that they have changed, they have grown up. And I mean, I love that story. I'm really glad that I hope he felt it was worthwhile. And if he didn't last night, he may in a few years. I mean, one of the people I talk about in the book was my amazing AP English teacher in the year aught three. <laughs> no, it was, you know, 1852, the 83-84 school year. And she, you know, I had a business career before I became a writer, but when I decided to become a writer, I had all the basics still locked in because she was such an amazing teacher. And it was really fun to think about, you know, what a gift she had given me. And I did write her a letter and she loved receiving it. Of course, I think she's recently retired, but yeah, it was really nice to go back and give a proper thank you to someone who had deserved it years earlier. So tell me about, okay, so... People who read this book, I've read it. It's very inspiring. I've been making my list of who to write letters to. It probably seems daunting to people listening, like 50 letters. What sort of process did you have around attempt to sort of get your hands around it and make it doable? Well, the first thing I want to say is nobody has to do 50 letters. And what I tried to say throughout the book is this worked for me. What works for you works for you. And in fact, I brought in a couple of examples of other people who had done similar writing projects just to show that there's a range You know, it does feel overwhelming to think of having to write 50 letters, but you're only doing one letter at a time. You're doing it at the pace that works for you. And in my case, I started off thinking, you know, I'm a type A man. You and Amy and I, we live inside the same brain. I'm like, oh, yeah, I got 52 weeks. That means I get to take two weeks off because I'm Gen X and I'm a slacker. So I need some vacation. But I will totally be done with this by December 31st. And it ended up being a very rough year. There was a lot of turbulence from my life that year that I write about in the book. And I couldn't write for three or four months. I couldn't even pick up a pen and think about this kind of thing. And so it, it ended up taking a year and a half. Who cares? You know, everybody who got their letter was happy to get their letter when they got it. Nobody was like, uh, dude, this was due four months ago. This says January 8th on it. <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> So that's my first thing is to just say this is really meant as a means of you thinking about what works for you. But I would also say that you will find as you write the gratitude letters, it makes you feel good. 
And I got to talk to happiness researchers about the physiological and psychological responses to gratitude to writing these letters. And it's a real thing. Like your chest fills with warmth and you feel more connected. You feel more hopeful. And so you may think I could never get this done, but you may also finish a letter and say, that felt good. I kind of want to write another one. So, you know, I think it's one size fits all in that you get to take all the measurements. You get to figure out what makes it work for you. I love the sound of that because it's, it's not like here's something else to feel bad about when you don't do it perfectly. Exactly. Ugh, if I wrote that book, then shame on me because I went into it thinking I don't want people to feel like, oh, my God, I'll never get this done. I don't think you did it all. But right. Just in case anybody who hasn't read it yet feels like, oh, that sounds like a huge, complicated thing. I think you, right. the book is very much like, come on in, the water is fine, <laughs> here's how you do it. If you don't want to do it that way, do it a different way. Like, right. pick a nice pen. I remember you talked about, you did it sort of on Friday afternoons with a glass of wine, and you made a sort of ritual around it that was something you looked forward to. Yeah. All that makes sense. Yeah. And, you know, one of the women I interviewed did a 100 letters in a 100 days. Now that, to me, sounds terrifying, but that worked really well for her. She was very glad at the end that that's how she did it. So whatever works for you, that's the right thing. Now that you're on the other end of this thank you project, 50 letters, 50 people, you've put all this gratitude out in the world. Do you think it's changed you in your relationships and or your relationships in some long lasting way? I do. And I think one of the ways it has is that it gave me a chance to look at all the people in my life and think about exactly what they're good at for me. You know, what is the thing I go to this person for? What is the way in which this person has helped me in the past? So I'm really efficient now. If I have a certain kind of problem, I'm like, boop, boop, boop. I know that that's my friend Andrea is the right person to talk to about that because she's helped me talk through that a similar thing before. So it was like a really kind of cool way to streamline what specific value I get out of my friendships. And that makes it sound a little bit transactional. I don't mean it to. I just mean it kind of narrowed in for me, like this person is great because. So I really liked getting, having a chance to think about the specifics of all these relationships. And also, you know, this, so I finished writing my thank you letters in 2017. And then I wrote the book in 2018. And in writing the book, I thought, why did I stop at 50? So I've actually picked up again. And I just wrote a thank you letter on Saturday to the guy who teaches my hip hop class. (laughs) Because I love going to his class. And he's so fun. And I'm not, you know, I can't move like I used to. But I still really he plays great music. And I feel so good when I come out of that class on Saturday mornings. And I have had him, you know, he's somebody who has really changed my life for the better since I started going to his class. And I'm getting ready to write another one this week. So I hope that, you know, it was a great reminder that these things don't stop working. You, you know, pick it up. Anytime you write a gratitude letter, the magic's there for you. Just waiting for the harvesting. This book, you guys, is such an entertaining read. I cried at some points. I mean, it's a journey through a woman's life and a mother's life and the stuff that we have to deal with and the unexpected bumps in the road. But then, I don't know, also how this more gratitude in our lives and more happiness in our lives is easy and possible and right there all the time in a way that I think is really reassuring. Get it, everybody. It's called The Thank You Project, Cultivating Happiness, One Letter of Gratitude at a Time. It's out now. Nancy, tell us where we can find the book and your work and everything else. 
My website is davisco.com, so that's D-A-V-I-S-K-H-O.com, and that's the best front door. From there, you can find the blog or the podcast. But if you look wherever you listen to podcasts, you'll find Midlife Mixtape. I'm going to do a little plug for Midlife Mixtape. It's hilarious. Nancy interviews sort of, I don't know, thought leaders and entertainers and all kinds of really interesting people every week. Tell us a little bit about the podcast. Give us, you know, a little bit on the podcast. Well, the podcast was, I started that so that when you Google midlife, the first word that comes up is not crisis because there are crisis-like moments in midlife. No one's lying. I have a friend who hurt her wrist last night from sleeping. (laughs) (laughs) She's in a brace. Send her a thank you letter. She needs you right now. There's a lot of things about being in the middle phase of life that I think are great. You know, you're smarter, you're more efficient, you've been around the block a few times, and I think there's some great stuff out there. So I try to bring on people who are doing interesting stuff at midlife, who are happy with where they are, who are learning new things, because I think that's a big key to being happy at midlife is not considering yourself a finished product quite yet. Yeah, so it's fun. And always the first question is, what was your first concert and what were the circumstances? Because I believe that's the great leveler. (laughs) With the name like Midlife Mixtape, you can tell I'm into music. And actually, the Thank You Project book has playlists in it. Why? Why not? That was my answer. So Yeah, I always ask Nancy what I should be listening to, and you never disappoint. I told you Janelle, I introduced you to Janelle Monet, didn't I? Yes. And I was so cool all last summer. And I'm like, are we listening to Janelle Monet? (laughs) This is good. Yeah, that whole album is amazing. And I have zero music credibility. It's you and my teenagers. So thank you for being as cool as my teenagers. Take that as the biggest compliment Mm -hmm. that anyone could have ever given me. So Thanks, Nancy. I'm going to plug the book one more time. The Thank You Project, Cultivating Happiness, One Letter of Gratitude at a Time. Guys, check it out. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. So we agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used Hero Bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber, while still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs, and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to Hero.co and use the code MOTHERHOOD at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code MOTHERHOOD for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, 
we can help you become a no guilt mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Guilt Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. And now, a moment of gratitude from the What Fresh Hell podcast. It is important always to express what we call an attitude of gratitude. When expressing yourself, are you making sure the people you are addressing know how much you appreciate their efforts? Ugh, this pasta smells so gross. There's no way I am eating it. The way we phrase things can unintentionally wound and harm. Ask yourself, can I rephrase my thoughts to find a more positive spin? OMG, it tastes even worse than it smells. Thinking about the wider picture helps us infuse all of our interactions with an inherent sense of gratitude. Mom, the dress you ironed isn't even the one I wanted to wear. An attitude of gratitude will carry you throughout a lifelong journey of peace and happiness. This is the most boring cruise I've ever been on. Okay, you've broken me. Do you know that there are kids who have never been on a boat, let alone a vacation? And while we're at it, let's talk about how many pairs of shoes you have. This has been a moment of gratitude. Do you know how many kids would be so happy to have one pair of shoes? Just one shoe. Just one shoe. That's all they would care about. Okay, Nancy is great, isn't she? She's so great. I'm grateful for Nancy. I loved this book, and it has inspired me. I hadn't written my 50 letters yet, but I have made my list of the people, places, and things that I am grateful for. And even that was really wonderful. I mean, I really sort of recalled the people who have been sort of the ballast in my life. And it was like what you were saying before about just choosing positive memories, it really, you know, made me feel warm and fuzzy the rest of the day. It's worth doing. And I think we can all feel very persecuted and like turning that around to like, wait, but there has been a lot of help in my life. And where is that coming from? Let's talk about some of the other things that you guys all told us that you were grateful for, because some of them are important. Sarah says that her mom friends are what she's grateful for. And she says she could not have survived without her fellow mamas. I barely survived two under two. The friends who always texted back, who picked up dinner or groceries, right? Yeah, that's great. Who are those friends who text you back? Who are the friends you realize in these moments, right? Like, who are you going to text? Like, one of my kids is going to the emergency room and somebody has to pick up my other one from school. Who am I going to text? Those people choosing to be grateful for them is, yeah, pretty central to a mom. And that's another area of access in your life. I think sometimes I tend to be a little bit like, I got it. I'm fine. I'm under control. And I've had some stuff going on recently with some health problems, families and stuff. And I like to be the giver of help. Like I like to organize the meal train, but I don't like to be the receiver of help like most people. Mm. And just having had that kind of forced upon me lately is reminding me like, oh yeah, these people are happy to help me. Yeah. They want to help. People want to help you. Nicole says she's thankful for carpools. She says, seriously, of course, that's obvious. Yeah, 
especially my town has no busing. So carpools are where it's at. We don't do enough of that in New York City. I feel like we're all well cars, though. We don't, well, right. Exactly. What are you going to do? You don't have a car. You can't carpool. Taxi pool. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't make as much sense. And but it is it's another like community thing. Community is where it's at, people. But what New York does show you is the kindness of strangers. You know, like I have many times, I've lived in New York for a long time. So I helped somebody who was having a seizure on the subway once. I helped somebody who was overdosing on heroin once. Like you just, you happen upon this stuff and the way people just like help. lean in and like take off their coat and put it under the person's head and just like they help. People just drop in and you think of a place surrounded by strangers as the most cold place you could be. And like I said, we're not so hot with the taxi pools, but we will help a stranger at a moment's notice. And I think anybody would. It's kind of nice to be in touch with that. I guess I see that on the daily a little more than, you know, people who spend most of their lives in cars in a place where you kind of know everybody. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it really does. And I think that is, I mean, New York often gets a bad reputation if it's like an unfriendly place. But really, like if something goes wrong in New York, like you'd be amazed. People run to help. You know, everybody, there's a communal feeling in New York, too, that's different than the community of like, Mm -hmm. I've organized the church into a meal train because your mom's sick. Like, it's not exactly like that, but it's a community nonetheless. You're all in that together. So my brother and sister-in-law's dog just ran away yesterday. Spoiler alert. They found him. But the way that they found him, he was actually at my sister-in-law's sister's house. She was watching him. And I don't know the details yet of what happened because it just happened last night. But he somehow got away. And she immediately went on Facebook and she said, help me find the dog. And within half an hour, they had the dog back because somebody else on Facebook was like, wait a minute. Somebody just put this picture on Facebook. I found this dog. And like they found the dog through everybody just sharing, retweeting looking around. It was an amazing, like people just drop in. They want to help. They got the dog back within half an hour. And I think that is the kind of stuff I'm grateful for. Of course, like my sister-in-law and her sister were just blown away that it worked. Yeah. I mean, that's community too. Jennifer says her in-laws was some people may be surprised by. They help me with my kids every day. They're there in a flash. Anytime I need help, they've been there with my family through our ups and downs. In-laws getting a shout out. I have great in-laws too. I have great in-laws too. But not everybody is so lucky. Not everybody is so lucky. Some people get real stinkers in the in-law lottery. Yeah. The thing you hope for everybody is that they have those family members, right? That you don't have to agree on everything, but when the kid's in the hospital, like they're there in two hours. Like the people like that in your life are, I guess, the thing I'm the most grateful for. And with family, it is nice to give voice to the thankfulness. I notice as my dad gets older that pretty much every time we sit down for a meal, he's like raising a toast and being like, I'm so grateful for this family, you know, and it's very sweet. And sometimes we tease him about it because I'm like, I don't know if we can sustain this level of, you know, indulgent nostalgia for years to come. But (laughs) he's very unapologetic about it. And it is kind of nice because I think he kind of sees like, okay, he's getting seriously older. And he always says, which I think is a great point, like, don't leave stuff unsaid And so he takes every opportunity when we're together to be like, I really love you guys. It's been a great run with you guys. And it's a really nice thing to practice, too. It's another way to practice gratitude. Say things out loud. Let's talk about that because we are. There was a study that found that people are more likely to express gratitude to a waiter at a nice restaurant than to their own spouse. 
Yeah, this is a good thing to keep in mind. I've seen two Facebook posts recently about people saying their husband walks in and is like talking to the dog and be like, you are so beautiful. I love you so much. You are so cute. And then walking out and they're like, "Uh, I was sitting right next to the dog. I'm the wife, you know? Yeah. And it is just the kind of thing. And like, I sometimes my husband's having like a love affair with our cat. Like he just loves the cat and the cat (laughs) loves him. And it's like a whole, I'm like, is there any room for me in the relationship with you and the cat? Like, can I just get a little, you know? shrapnel every once in a while off the love bomb that is you and the cat. And that's something that my husband and I have talked about a lot is practicing the thing of like pretty much at every meal, my husband stops the kids and say, let's thank mom for making this great dinner. You know, like you practice a practice of saying out loud what you're thankful and grateful for, even if it's like, thanks mom for this. Yeah. You know, they're not exactly like, oh, thank you, mother. The lasagna was particularly delicious. They're not. But I still think the practice matters. You have to like, I walked in yesterday. I was out all day with, you know, one group of my kids and then I go home and my husband has been home with the other group of my kids and the house is a disaster, right? There's just, it looks like a thin layer of pollen. Just every surface is covered with books, bags, keys, receipts, you know, like the groceries that aren't unpacked. That's like everything. And I'm like, ugh, and the clothes, the coats are dumped in the front hall and I'm sort of like, okay, we really have to get, like, if I'm going to do dinner, then I need you guys to clean up the rest of this. But from where my spouse is standing, he, like, made lunch and cleaned it all up. And I'm sort of like, yeah, great start. Like, whatever. What about the rest of it? But you're like, to quote you, Amy, you're like, you get a zero for that. You get a zero for, I didn't say you get a zero for that. You get like a 50 for that out of 100. But I was sort of like, you don't get a, I would have killed you if I also had to clean up like your lunch mess that I didn't even partake in. The good news is you will not be murdered today. Right. Bad news is we haven't exactly achieved a clean house. You get a neutral for cleaning up some of your own mess. Thank you. Yeah. But yeah, but like he just wants to be thanked for cleaning up the, he's like, isn't that good though that I ran the dishwasher? Like he's, he's like, I'm trying. I'm not just filling the dishwasher. I'm running it. I'm like, yes, you're right. Thank you so much. That way we'll have a clean dishwasher that's empty after dinner. (laughs) And then I, you know, then I made dinner and he helped some. And then at dinner, he was like, thank mom for making dinner. And yeah, like we could do, I need to lean into this. I need to do better about this and actually just express the gratitude. I remember a long time ago, I was sitting at the airport arrivals waiting for my then boyfriend, who's now my husband. And I was, you know, excited to see him and I can't remember where he was coming back from. I think actually we were probably married at the time. But anyway, a businessman comes out. There's a woman standing next to me and he comes through the doors and his face kind of lights up like, oh, hey, to see his wife. And she's like, you didn't call me to say you were going to be late. And now I've been waiting. And she she immediately just starts digging in and like with like the 86 complaints about what he's done wrong. And I remember looking at that and being like, I will never be that person who greets my loved one with like a hectoring harangue of laundry list of things they've done wrong. Spoiler alert, totally that person. You know, I do it all the time. But I do find like when I see my husband after a trip, I still have that memory enough that whenever he comes home from a trip, oh my God, I'm so happy to see you. Welcome home. But it doesn't matter because I do it in 60 other ways. You know what I mean? That thing of like... Before I even smile at you, I'm going to launch into this like completely long laundry list of your sins. I could drop that from my repertoire. See, now I'm thinking I do need this like gratitude list because like I get this is where I'm getting where I have been getting stuck. I guess I'm like, oh, I'm supposed to say thank you for loading the dishwasher. Like, thank you, I guess, whatever, you know, but (laughs) you're like a Trey Kennedy. Thanks. Right. Exactly. But if I had my perspectacles on 
all the time because I fell asleep thinking about the things I was grateful for, then I would see that. I wouldn't have to be like pretend to see that. I would just see that. So I'm starting to understand like this doesn't have to be hard. It gets easier the more you do it because I would have positive recall bias. And it's a back to one thing, too. It's just the thing of like when I find myself like yelling at my husband 24 hours a day, I'm like, huh, maybe I should think about the fact that like my husband's one of those husbands who everyone in my family is like, oh, my God, you have the best husband in the world. And I'm like, you should see him leave the toilet seat up. It's like I should listen to them. Like I have the best husband in the world. And I spend my life yelling at him that he's doing the minutiae wrong. Like that's something to fix. This is a survey from the John Templeton Foundation said 47% of women wish their spouse or partner would express more appreciation for what they do. Aren't you shocked that's not (laughs) 99.47? Yeah, it should be 98, 98 98.5. Correct. That same study found that about 60% of men think that we express about the right amount. I don't know if my spouse would be in that number. Probably not. Well, we didn't get to a ton of our thanks that we had on our Facebook page. We had Mm -hmm. thankful for books, which I'm also very thankful for. Oh, yeah. Bluetooth earbuds. I'll tell you what. Mm -hmm. Didn't know I need them. They changed my life. Yeah. I love having a podcast in while my children are talking to me. It's really, really, I'm grateful for it. And a lot of people said, you know, getting out of bed every day, strong body, like, When you have your health, it's good to just remember like, hey, (laughs) I can drink water every once in a while. You don't have to spend your all day every day being grateful for drinking water, but every once in a while, give your body a little bit like, hey, thanks, legs. Good job. I'm going to lean into this for 2020. I'm going to try to cultivate a gratitude practice and see how it goes. I'm going to check back with you guys on that. I don't know that I'm going to do that, but I am glad we talked about it. It's always good to reset this particular button because, you know. We're doing all right, and we should remember that. I want to give another shout out to Nancy Davis Co., our guest for today. Her book is called The Thank You Project, Cultivating Happiness, One Letter of Gratitude at a Time. It's a great book for yourself. It's a great book for somebody you know celebrating a big birthday or entering retirement or, you know, just somebody who is at that moment of, I'm going to pause and reflect. This is the perfect gift. And we had so many people who said that they were grateful for the What Fresh Hell podcast. And guys, we're grateful for you. Yeah. And we want you to come celebrate with us on Facebook at What Fresh Hell Cast, which is where we are located. And come join the What Fresh Hell podcast group. We are so grateful for all the people there giving great advice and tips to each other and sharing laughs. It's just a great place. Come join the What Fresh Hell podcast group on Facebook. We're also on Instagram at What Fresh Hellcast and on Twitter at WFH Podcast. I'll put links to the studies and to Nancy's book and to the episode about raising grateful kids up on our website, which is WhatFreshHellPodcast.com. Until next time, guys, have fun writing your list of things you're grateful for and or watching Netflix and eating cereal, whichever one you choose. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, 
tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Margaret, it's an exciting news day. An exciting news day indeed, Amy. A few years ago, we launched our first spinoff podcast, Toddler Purgatory, hosted by the hilarious Blair Brooks and Molly Lloyd. And guess what? Now, Blair and Molly are back with their all-new podcast, Unsticking It. You know Blair and Molly as two busy moms and actors, and somewhere between potty training and the pandemic, they both felt like they lost their creative kaboom. In their new podcast, Unsticking It, they are going to talk about how all of us can get back to what lights us up after motherhood. Amy, I need this. Me too. And Blair and Molly will be talking to fellow imaginative minds. We're talking actors, artists, and creators of all kinds about how we can all unstick ourselves from whatever muck we're stuck in. Follow, subscribe, and listen to Unsticking It wherever you get your podcasts. That's Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life stucks. <laughs>